This podcast was made in collaboration with Expedoc. You're listening to the Development Dialogues, an economic development podcast. I see economic development really leaning into serving underserved communities and population. The economy's not going to wait for you. You have to be on the forefront of that. What does success look like? Jobs. Brought to you by GMI Post. Welcome to episode 5 of the Development Dialogues. My name is Ryan, and on this podcast, we talk to leading economic developers across the United States to learn more about their unique stories and strategies for success. For this episode of the pod, we've also got GMI Post Director Philippe joining in, and we got a small request for you guys. If you like what you're hearing or if you want more episodes of the Development Dialogues, Please let us know by liking the podcast and subscribing to it. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also leave reviews and rate the podcast. It might sound like it's a small thing for you guys, but really for us, it's it's a huge thing. So your support really means a lot. You can even suggest guests or give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. That said, we've got an exciting episode ahead for you guys. To say that our guest for today's episode is a treasure trove of knowledge would be an understatement. With over 30 years of economic development experience, he has been and continues to be a catalyst for growth in Griffin Spalding, Georgia. Please welcome to the podcast, Griffin Spalding Development Authority's Executive Director, David Lucky. Hi, good morning. First of all, thank you so much for making time for us. We really appreciate it. How is everything in Griffin Spalding? Well, today is really good. Uh, economic development, as I guess we'll learn over the next few minutes, is an ever-changing process. So and I've been part of that for a while, so I'm very happy to talk about it. I love that. Economic development is an ever-changing process. But before we do a deep dive on what economic development is and what it's like as a craft and as a science, um, I want to acknowledge that also with us on the podcast is GMI Post Director Philippe. And aside from getting your thoughts, David, on economic development, we also want to know more about your career. So maybe that's a good place for us to start this conversation. I usually say origin story because I am a, a comic book fan by heart. Um, David, why don't you share with our listeners your origin story as an economic developer? How did it all begin for you? Well, when I started, I guess I got into it by accident, which was probably the case of most people. I actually started 34 years ago and had been working for a university in Macon, Georgia. And before that, I was a practicing CPA, and that job ended up being a heavy, heavy travel job. And after a while, that sort of took its toll on me. And so in looking around, the city and county in, in Macon was thinking about starting a white-collar recruitment program at the Chamber of Commerce. I knew very little about economic development, and so I thought it sounded interesting, even though I really didn't know what it entailed. So I applied for the job and got it. 
Now you can actually get degrees in economic development. The early degrees were something like they focused on economics. Well, that sounds good on paper, economics. I mean, that's a good topic to know a little bit about, but that is not what makes you an economic developer. It's sort of being a little bit more well-rounded, I think. So that's kind of how I did it. I kind of backed into it, got into it and liked it and decided maybe I could make a career out of this, in which I, I guess I have at this point. For sure. And David, if you could still remember, what was day one like for you with um, Griffin Spalding Development Authority? What were you feeling as you entered their doors for the very first time? Well, that's a great question. The Development Authority had rented a little small office, like a two-person office. And so they had just separated. They used to do economic development through the chamber. The chamber executive did Chamber of Commerce and Economic Development which some communities still do, but they were breaking it off and really creating economic development on its own through a development authority, which they had. It just all was under one person. So it was separate. So when I walked into the office, all I had were a set of keys, no files, no books, no employees. So I'm saying that first day I was sitting there sort of staring at the wall thinking, I hope I made the right decision to come here. That just shows you how naive I was at the time. I didn't even, and they had no funding. So this was like starting a small business from scratch. The first few weeks I was here were really a trying time for me. And yes, I had second thoughts about whether I should have even been here or not. Uh, but I stuck with it and got things developed and got an employee, a great one. And so we we took off from there. Why did you stick around if it was that challenging? Well, that's been sort of the basis of my economic development career, not to back off from a challenge. So I thought, heck, I can do this. Yeah. And I'll (laughs) I'll figure it I'll figure it out. And uh, and we did. That really is the reason. You know, I had committed to this and by gosh, I was going to stick with it. So how much time how much time did you uh before you actually sort of found a groove? That's a that's another good question. If I think back, it was at least until maybe a year to where I, mm-hmm. I felt really comfortable about what I was doing sort of on my own because before I had the backing of a whole chamber of commerce, yeah. a large chamber. And up here, it's like if a decision needed to be made outside of my board, I needed to make it. So I had to learn a lot of things and it was got into a fast track, I guess, but it took probably about a year to really get where I felt comfortable doing everything. Yeah. And I just want to highlight what you shared, David, which is it took you one year to find your groove. And I want to I want to emphasize that because n- today we live in a world where instant gratification is a thing. <laughs> uh, some people um, who find themselves um, doing something new might feel like, oh, this isn't for me just because they're not doing well at the start. But it just goes to show that patience and hard work really pay off, you know. Um, but going back to your story, within that one year, what made you say that you finally found your groove? Uh, what was your first victory or what was uh, that first big milestone for you? Well, 
we may touch on a little of this later, but my first company that we landed when I was here happened to be a Japanese company. Oh. Which we've been able to continue uh, that for a few years now, and, and mostly in recent years. And I worked with the state of Georgia, Department of Economic Development, which is what we still do. Mm-hmm. And that was our, our first project. They were in the automotive industry doing parts mm-hmm. for most model of cars. So that's what that was our first big one. And that was a good one for the community here. Fantastic. And at that time, David, were there already a lot of Japanese companies looking to invest in the area? Uh, that was the only one. Amazing. And as far as foreign direct investment attraction is concerned, how were you able to build a relationship and eventually close a Japanese company at a time when not a lot of Japanese companies were looking to invest in your area? Well, I guess I got a little help. They, Besides the state of Georgia, which has always been a great partner and a great help, they had considered a project maybe five or six years earlier for Griffin because of our location in proximity to Hartsfield and proximity to Atlanta. And as part of that, they had purchased a site in Spalding County and just sort of had hung on to it. That's actually really interesting because when GMI Post last spoke to you for our Japan Times Southeastern USA 2023 report, you mentioned that you actually don't have any more real estate or land to offer uh, these interested Japanese companies because you're already at full capacity and the demand just kept coming in. Um Can you speak to us about how and why you're so successful at attracting these multinational Japanese companies? Well, and I guess there's a story behind that, too. About 2006 or 8, we had three industrial parks at that point. And we had decided our next industrial park was going to be a green park. That's when you were starting to hear words like, what about the environment? Uh, what about sustainability? What about, and, and it's everything was green. You turn on your TV and there'd be a washing machine ad that had that energy. Sure. Saving. You know, that, that, little, <laughs> that little sticker on everything had the little energy saving thing. And so we said, okay, let's do a green park. And then once we got it developed, took a couple of years, we had some prospects which were, I guess, were normal prospects, the usual prospects. They weren't here necessarily for the green park, but they started asking questions. And we had one that came in and said, what do you mean by green park? And so we changed the name to Eco Park. So now we have an Eco Park with our own sustainability standards regarding site development and building construction. And then we decided... We, we had landed a couple of other Japanese companies in the meantime. We decided we wanted to target that country as initially that's what we were kind of going to go after, some more Japanese companies. Mm-hmm. And so we had the first one that came in was a company called Otsuka, and they make a abrasive chemical. 
they were very interested in the fact that we had a, an eco park. They thought this is pretty good. What better place to make a green product than a green park is what they told us. And so then it became easier because the Japanese community has a great network between and among each other. So then we started getting some people, can we come look at your eco park? And so then it just sort of grew from there. And then we do participate in a lot of conferences and visits with Japanese companies. So we we have been making an effort on building relationships uh, and trying to develop trust between us and what it is that comes in. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, uh, the work that you guys are doing is for the benefit of those people voting. And so as, as you see these projects sort of come to fruition, when you look at the success and the contributions of this to the community, the, where, where do you find satisfaction or sort of when you see the development and the impact of the work that you guys are doing? Talk to us about, you know, that level of satisfaction that you guys see from the impact of the work that you're doing. Well, I'll give you two examples. One, when I was director of admissions in a totally different environment, we were recruiting basically college-age kids, high school juniors and seniors, and you just wouldn't believe how much satisfaction it gives you and pleasure seeing these students growing up, developing their future lives and the impact that we had just because they came here. Well, in economic development, uh, you're not dealing with those college-age kids much anymore, but you're dealing with their parents who actually work for our own companies around the world. And then when they come here, they're creating jobs. And if, and if you meet somebody on the street and talk to them and they have a, a uniform shirt on that identifies their company and you ask them, do you work there? Yeah. And I said, man, that's been a great experience for me. We've been able to really pick our lives up. And you, and you take a lot of satisfaction in just seeing what the impact of job creation does mm -hmm. for everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And with that, I mean, you've been there for so long. The evolution and the growth within Griffin, just on our end, coming back with a couple of years of difference, there's visible growth that we see. I mean, it must be a spectacular thing to observe throughout your career. Well, it is. Uh the other thing that's like a little asterisk that sticks in the one one part of your brain is uh, my brother's a football coach. Mm -hmm. And we used to talk about you're only as good as your last win. <laughs> yes. I don't care what you're in. You're only as good as your last win. So you may have had a streak of winning seven or eight games, but if you don't win number nine, oh, man, that's that's terrible. You're a bad coach. So you have to keep producing. And that's the, that's the part though of economic development that sort of lights that fire. You know, you have to produce, you have to keep adapting to change and you want to adapt to change. It's so many things are different in my community now than they were when we first got here. Griffin was originally a mill town, textiles, Cotton was king, and that whole mill town aspect of our community stayed for a lot of years because the mills provided 
just guessing 90% of all of the real jobs in our community for a long time. Mm -hmm. So changing from that to just being, I won't call it a more progressive community, but a different community. And, and that was actually started in the sixties. Now I I was not here in the sixties. I'm not, you know, that (laughs) old, but but in the sixties, some leaders in this County, got together and decided we've had the mills here. They are great. They're still thriving. But what happens if textiles is not always on top? What happens to our community? Now, that was really some foresightful thinking back in the in the early 60s. It then helped establish, and our community voted on it, uh, the development authority. And they said, let's develop this authority, get it going, and maybe try to diversify our employer base. And then so when I got here, we had one industrial park, but still about half left to fill up. And those were great companies. They were all diversified. And we've been trying to do that since. Our bread and butter, so to speak, in the community is light manufacturing and assembly. We like good, clean industries that create great jobs uh, with good benefits. And so that's been one thing. The other one is, which was sort of a mistake on my part on the front end when I came here, I was not aware that there was a University of Georgia campus in Griffin. Back then, they called it an experiment station. It was part of a federal program putting experiment stations around the country to help farmers. So we had one, and I found out we'd had it over 100 years. I thought, oh, my oh, wow. God, what is this place? <laughs> and so I visited and I asked the director, I said, exactly what do you do here? And, of course, they've been doing world-class research now, like I said, for over 100 years. And then several years ago, maybe about 10, the University of Georgia decided to also start teaching and offering degrees in our community. And that was a big deal. So that's also been uh, one big difference that we've had, morphing from a mill town into what we are now and still growing in in the University of Georgia. Right. Well, David, I wish we had more time because I feel like um, you've got lots of stories and we've barely scratched the surface, really. Um, But from talking about how economic development was back then and how your community was um, back then and how it evolved over the years. Let's now talk about the future of economic development because we want to pick your brains a little bit as well um, on that. So that said, what do you think is the future of economic development? Uh, How does it look like? Well, It's continuing to change. In the old days, if somebody visited, you could have had anyone from the company on the prospect visit. Some just an executive could have been from human resources. And so you you take them out and you would show them this green field. Might have trees, could have a hill, could have other issues with the site. And you would say, Imagine, if you will, your plant sitting where those trees are, and then we'd have a parking lot over to the side. Well, it's 
a whole lot different now. In the state of Georgia, uh, they certify industrial sites. Your sites have to be graded with infrastructure, testing done. We leave nothing to the imagination because you can see what your site looks like and it's already developed. All you have to do is build a building. That's the physical part. The other thing that's uh, going to be different in the future is, and this has also been in the past, you have to keep, you know, we have a lot of foreign direct investment here and hope to continue to do that. But you also have to watch uh, trade tariffs and different regulations about how easy is it going to be or hard for one particular country to come over to the U.S. looking at markets. You're also going to see a lot of, and maybe my community is a good example. Since we were a mill town, we have a lot of old vacant mills. You're going to see a lot of reusing and redeveloping buildings that were in your community or sites that were in your community. Social media now is probably has been as big a thing as any. You can almost do a virtual prospect visit. And then when you start, it seems like one of the hot discussion topics now is artificial intelligence. How does that affect manufacturing operations, if any? If you look at it a little bit differently, we've had sort of one form of artificial intelligence through robotics uh, for a number of years here. They used to call it then advanced manufacturing. So I guess it'll be now advanced manufacturing on steroids with the AI. Uh, so you're having to learn how to deal with that. You also have to realize that at some point you may give out of land, land opportunities. What is economic development just going to look like anyway? And then so you talk about workforce, getting enough people to fill jobs. We're having to deal with those questions. And Georgia, and I'm sure other states may have the same issue, workforce housing is a real shortage of workforce housing, not only do you want to get a new company to come into your community, you also want to get the executives that they're transferring in to live in your community. And so you have to have adequate and appropriate workforce housing. Uh, you have to learn how to deal with population growth. So economic development just changes it seems like every other year so you really have to have your eye on the future so you won't be shell shocked when somebody reminds you well that's not how we do it now mm -hmm. fantastic and david if you had to summarize your 34 plus years of experience in economic development into one lesson for our listeners what lesson would that be well, the one thing is, I'll make it simple, plan, plan, and then review your plan. Be prepared. Realize that the itinerary that you have for a prospect visit is not your itinerary, even though you put it together. It is the company's itinerary. Uh, they know what they want to see, and they know who they want to talk to, and you have to respect that. And you also have to realize that just because you think this is the perfect location, we have everything you could ever want. Well, you have to face the realities of listening to what they're trying to tell you. 
And I think earlier in my career, I didn't do enough listening as opposed to think, well, I've got your problem solved already. I don't need to hear what you have to say. Well, yes, you'd better listen to what somebody's telling you, or you may be eliminated pretty quick, because that is the one thing you can't forget in this line of work is the process of elimination, not selection. So companies are looking for reasons to eliminate you and not select you. If you win a project, you were the last one standing. You were the only one that was not eliminated. So it kind of works a little bit differently, meaning you'd better listen to what somebody's trying to tell you. Right. That said, what do you think um, is the most essential quality or skill that, that a person needs in order to be successful in economic development? I think it's the obvious. There's some obvious ones. You, you now have to have some social media skills, communication skills. That's more and more important as we get into the future. But you must know your product back and forth. If somebody asks you something, you must know your product. But building trust and integrity with whoever it is you're speaking with is probably the most important quality somebody could have. You have to be believable and it has to be a real, it can't be just a fake or you'll be one of the ones eliminated. And so that trust and integrity But if you're with a development authority, which is government, you also have to have thick skin. So you do hear from the public time to time. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. not all good. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. So you just have to realize it's, it's really not personal. It's just about how things are going. So you have to have some thick skin. But really that building that network of trust and integrity is probably the the most. Well said. Now, David, I'm down to my last question, but before I get to it, I just want to emphasize again how grateful we are um, that you made time for us. You're sharing so much experience and knowledge on this podcast. After decades of doing economic development work, what do you think makes a career in economic development worth it? Well, sort of like what we talked about on the front end. I love my job. I love coming to work. That's why I'm still in it. I love the challenge. You do something different every day. It's not like I come to work and I'm doing the exact same thing every day. It's always a little bit different. And seeing the jobs that we create and the people that are working, as I mentioned, that is what makes this job. That's kind of like the the little gravy, this little little extra with job satisfaction, you actually can see the impact your job has on our community and on people. Again, thank you so much for your time, David. People can't see this because um, this is an audio-only podcast, but I'm giving you a standing ovation. <laughs> Where can people find you? Um, uh, how can people get in touch with Griffin Spalding Development Authority? Easiest is uh, gsda.net. That's our website. And it tells you how to email us, how to contact us. It gives you the whole thing. Excellent. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. 
thank you for listening to the Development Dialogues. Brought to you by GMI Post. Visit www.gmipost.com for exclusive country economic reports, investment guides, original feature articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of GMI Post. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, anything, or anyone.